they're having they were having transportation problems and would not be able to get in here and ask me if I would uh, do the sermon and I said yes. So, <laughs> uh, needless to say, I miss uh, being able to do this, but uh, I also it was a good move for me to to turn the the work over to him and uh, I've seen. A lot of younger people come in because of that. You know, last week, um, I did Jerry Robertson's funeral. Jerry uh, had been an elder here and and a longtime member, and uh, he passed away, and and I did his funeral. And um, in that funeral, I shared with the audience what I had spoken to Jerry. My intention, because I knew his last hours were there. And I wanted to encourage him. And, and so I went there with that goal, and I, I wanted to strengthen him. And so I took his hand, and I looked into his eyes, and I said, you know, look, I may pass before you do, but in case this is the time, I want to tell you what you can expect. And I began to tell him about how he would see angels come into the room. And I said, you know, you're going to see an angel. You're going to see angels. That's a big deal. And I said, they're going to lift you up and they're going to carry you to the throne of God. You're going to see God in all of his glory and with millions, it says, and millions of angels surrounding his throne singing praises to him. You're going to see that. You're going to witness it. And you're going to become a part of it. And and so uh, I told him, I said, you're going to see Jesus. I mean, how many of you would like to see Jesus right now? What would you do if you saw Jesus? Besides worshiping him, wouldn't you want to put your arms around him and say, thank you? you. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for saving me. I mean, you know, I told Jerry, I said, you're going to get to do that. And, And, you know, as I was, as I preached what, as I preached that lesson, I couldn't help but wonder how, how, how many people in the audience really understand what we have ahead of us. And, and so I, uh, I, the text that was read to us talks about our hope. Uh, what are you hoping for? You know, when I first became a Christian 50 years ago, I thought my hope was, well, I hope I get to go to heaven. And, you know, and back then they portrayed it as, you know, I'm going to get, I'm going to sit on a cloud and play a harp. You know, it's the only time we can do instrumental music, you know. Was, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, I looked forward to that. I thought that was a neat thing, but... Uh, <laughs> so, uh, and, and so what, what, without realizing it, what I was hoping for was that I would die, become a spirit, or as the Germans would say, a ghost. Spirit and ghost are the same things. I'd become a ghost, and I'd go to heaven, and, and, and uh, I, I was going to be in heaven forever. Um, That was my hope. Uh, And that's why I became a Christian, so that I could live forever in heaven. 
That's why I went to church. Uh, that's why I strove to live a Christian life and to be nice to people even when it wasn't really my character to do that. Uh, I wanted to go to heaven. That was my hope. What are you hoping for? Why did you become a Christian? Why did you come to church today? What is your hope? What are you, what are you hoping for in all of this? Well, the text is, you know, it's interesting, the text that I had read this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, the Apostle Paul, you really need to get this, Paul is writing to a church, the church in Ephesus. These are saved people. These are Christians. And he writes to them and says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now remember he's talking to Christian folks. So that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Now, the fact that Paul is writing to saved people in the church and says, I pray that you're going to get the hope. I, I pray that you're going to understand what your hope is. What that means is that it's possible to be a Christian and not get it. Did you hear what I just said? It's possible that you can be a Christian and not understand and not get uh, the hope that God intends for us to have. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have been praying that they would understand it. And so, he wants them to know what the hope is. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be or may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Hope. What is hope? Well, if we have another problem with that because we grow up saying, you know, well, are you going to, you know, is this going to happen? And you say, well, I hope so. And we say it with kind of a, a worrisome sense of doubt. But in the Bible, the Greek word for hope, uh, elpida, is not, doesn't have the sense of doubt to it. It's more like uh, you are... It's more like, it describes more of the, the concept of, you know, did you grow up, you know, celebrating Christmas and having Christmas presents under the tree for yourself as a little child? And you just, you know, it's, t it's the night before. Can I open one? Can I open one? Nope. Well, I got to wait until, as my parents, you got to wait until Christmas morning. Oh, and the hope, the, the anxiousness. I mean, you don't have any doubt that you're, that those you don't think those boxes and presents are empty. Awesome. You know something's in there, and you're so excited that you just can't, you know. I always wondered whether I could even go to sleep at night. You know, so excited. And so that's what the word hope in the New Testament means. It's an anxious anticipation of what you know you're going to receive. So what are we anxiously anticipating 
Is it a harp on a cloud? Um, what are you hoping for? What is your hope? Do you, do you really have the New Testament hope? Have you got a hold of it? It's possible to be a Christian all your life and not get a hold of it. Have you understood it? Um, why are you here this morning? What drove you to become a Christian? What, what caused you to decide that you would be baptized? Well, let me, let me share with you what the Bible says, okay? If you have your Bibles, it's always good to open it. You don't have to because I think we've got it up on the screen. There it is. Uh, Romans chapter 8. It's a long text. I've got two long texts to share with you this morning, but both of them are pretty serious texts. And they need a little bit of uh, tweaking to understand them. Uh, verse 18, Paul, Paul the Apostle writes this. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and they were, they were going through persecution. They were being killed for their faith. And he says, I consider that the, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy Think about that. They're not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation, do you think about the creation in the sense that it can feel and be anxious? That it can long for something? Paul seems to think it can. The anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Oh, what's that? And then he kind of gives a little explanation there. He says, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. There's that word. And he actually went up in verse 19, the anxious longing. That's hope in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You see, the, the creation's dying. Second law of thermodynamics, blah, blah, blah. It's cooling down. There's a point if it keeps going. It's, it's just dying. It's running down. And that's the corruption that the creation longs to be set free from. Hopes to be set free from. And is anxiously hoping to get into the glory of the freedom of the sons of God. Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, not only is this going on with the creation, but we, but also we ourselves, waiting, uh, grown within ourselves, we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly, First it says, having the first fruits of the Spirit. 
That's what we get when we become Christians, right? We're taught that when we get baptized in faith, and because of that, then God gives us his spirit. So we get the Holy Spirit. Having the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. What's he saying? Well, first he says there's something coming. It's glory. Glory. We're waiting for glory. That's ahead of us. What do you think of when you hear the word glory? Well, I, th I think of the sun. Have, have any of you ever looked into the sun? I know you're not supposed to. You don't have to raise your hand. But, you know, when I was a kid, I actually disobeyed and looked into the sun. That's, there, there's so much glory there. And that's what I think of when I hear the word glory. And that's what's ahead of us. Something is in front of us, not behind us, and not right now, but it's in front of us, and it's called glory. Then Paul ties that glory to the whole creation. And it says that even the creation itself is looking forward to that glory. Now I know that's strange. That's a strange way of thinking about the creation. But Paul says that even the creation is going to experience the glory. And this is the next long text. And, and Peter says, he, Paul said it, now Peter says it in 2 Peter 3. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. That means you're not ready for it usually. In which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. So that mean, it means a day is coming when the creation, the whole creation that we know of, is going to be burned up. It's going to be melted with intense heat. And then he gives a little motivation. He says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought to be, ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. Now here comes the glory for the creation. But according to his promise, we are looking for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's why back in Romans, when we were looking at the Romans passage, and you can go back there if you want to, we saw that, not back, but go forward. I actually have it in the next slide. We, we see that the creation is longing to be set free to enter into the glory of the sons of God because the creation is also going to experience glory. We're going to experience glory. The creation is going to experience glory. And in the Romans passage, Paul uh, goes on uh, 
to say that our glory that we are looking forward to is the redemption of our body. What's that? What's the resurrection? He says we've received the first fruit of the Spirit. We're Christians, but our bodies, our bodies aren't redeemed yet. Our bodies still run amok. Paul talks about this in Romans 7, just before this chapter, and he says, man, I see myself doing in my body, I see my body doing the very things I don't want to do. How many of you can, don't raise your hand, but how many of you can relate to that? We all, all the sins we commit, if we're Christians, we don't want to commit them. Well, why do we? Because our bodies are running amok. Paul says in that Romans 7 passage that sin is in the flesh. Sin is in our body. And our bodies have got to be redeemed. That's what he says, verse 23. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly, and that describes what the word hope means, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. And then he says it. Don't miss it. Here it is. For in hope we have been saved. What well, we've been saved from our sins, that's a big deal, right? But the reason we were saved from our sins was so that we can live in eternity with new bodies. The reason we've been saved from our sins is so that we can have enjoyed the redemption of our bodies. Yes, being saved, having your sins removed is a big deal, but it's not the big whammy. If you don't know what whammy means, then um, ask Dennis Matthews. Uh, he says, yes, you're saved, but why? Why are we saved? Waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies is the resurrection. You see, we're going to experience, each one of us, if you're a child of God, you're going to experience what Jesus the man experienced. Unless he comes before you die, then you're going to die. But then you're going you're to experience what he experienced. You're going to be resurrected. And you're going to have a new body. I mean, that's what 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20 and 21 says. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Get it? See it? The first fruits of those who are asleep. That's what Paul calls dying for Christians. Because he doesn't say died. He says sleep because sleep's temporary. And that's what he wants to convey. But he says Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of those who are asleep. First fruit, what is first fruit? It means there's second fruit. 
means that we're going to follow him. We're going to go through, we're going to do exactly what he did. We're going to come back to life with new bodies. Just like he did. Not different. I mean, they're different, but not, not totally different. I mean, when he was resurrected, they could recognize him. They knew he was Jesus when they saw him, unless he hid himself, his recognition from them, like he did to the two guys on the road to Emmaus. But when he appeared to the 12, they saw him, they recognized him. It's funny, it's, it's, what makes you, helps you understand that this was written, that it was true, is because it shows their shortcomings. When Jesus first appeared to them, they all started screaming, thought he was a ghost. Yeah. Scared them to death. I mean, if Jesus appeared to us in this room right now, we'd all probably start screaming. It'd scare us. And he says, don't, be, be at peace. It's me. Look, me. Touch me. Well, you can't touch a ghost. Handle me. He says, ah, that piece of fish there. Let me eat it. Why? Because ghosts don't eat. It's me. And he, was, and he didn't pass through any, um, he didn't walk through doors. It says the doors were locked, closed, and he appeared to them. So Jesus, in his new body, as this new human being, was able to live both in the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. And then after he was through with them, he vanished. Well, where did he go? He went into the heavenly realm. And, he, and, and the text goes on to say, for since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. That's our hope. And if we miss that, we're, we're missing what the New Testament says is our hope. It's the reason we become Christians. It's the reason we go to church. It's the reason we treat people kindly. It's because we have a hope. Our hope is glory. And so we're willing to do that. We're willing to go through the process. We're willing to go and get baptized. We're willing to go and live in a community. We're willing to live and treat people who are kind of sometimes unkind kindly. Because we have a hope of glory. And, and Jesus did this not as some kind of, you know, we were talking uh, in Bible class, you know, when I first became a Christian, I thought Jesus was not really fully man. I thought maybe he glowed in the dark or something, you know. But he was a man, like you and me. I mean, man, Greek, Greek and Hebrew and most of the other languages of the world, the word man means male and female. <laughs> Only in English do we get fouled up in that. But Jesus was a, a man. He was a human like you and me. I mean, and he still is. That's the big deal. He still is. In 1 Timothy 2 verse 5, he says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. And Timothy, Paul writes this to Timothy about 40 years after, about 30 years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. 
And 30 years later, he's still a man. He's a human. He's one of us who's gone before us into the glory. And we're next. And as a human being, he was killed. And as a human body uh, being, his body died and was buried. And then as a human being, he rose from the dead with a new body. And as a human being, he entered into glory. And he says, okay, I'm the first one. You're now next. Come on. You're next. Let's get on with it. Let's get on with the good stuff. It's interesting that Paul says that. In Philippians, he says, I'm kind of undecided whether to... To, to live and continue ministering to you, and I'm paraphrasing, or to go on and die and go be with the Lord. And he said, that's what I prefer because that's better. That's the good stuff. And so when Jesus was resurrected as a human being, he went before us and we're next and we're going to have a body that can't die. We're going to have bodies that can be touched and handled. We're going to have bodies that can eat if we so desire. I don't think we have to have sustenance. I don't know. The Bible really doesn't reveal a lot about that. Uh, uh, the, and we'll have bodies that can go in and out of the spirit realm and the physical realm at ease. And as Jesus' uh, human brothers and sisters, we're going to have that same experience. I mean, really, don't you, don't you look forward to that? Amen. If that's our hope, I mean, really, it changed my life when I realized this. I mean, I'm thinking about sitting on a cloud with a harp or being a full human being like Jesus And glorifying God in my new body. And knowing you in my new body and your new body. And we might even talk about these days. But I don't think longingly. You know, what is your hope? <laughs> it does affect how you live. My favorite illustration in the whole world that I read probably 10, 15 years ago was about the Roman Empire, and it was about in, you know, the Christians who had settled in there and what, what really played a role in converting the Roman citizens, converting the Roman Empire. And it was about how when a plague would hit Rome, we can relate to that now, can't we? A plague hits Rome, and the people start dying. And it says that the Roman citizens who didn't have the plague would flee the city. And because they were there by the sea, they would, they would go out and many times get in boats and, and sail out to the sea to get away from the plague. And the sad thing is, is they were leaving behind their relatives who were sick. And they were leaving them there to die alone. Now, actual story, okay? And it says that the Christians, instead of fleeing the city, would stay and care for the sick and dying. And as a result, many of them got sick and died. Well, what does that say? 
What did that communicate? And these acts, acts like this is what ultimately converted the entire Roman Empire. They went from burning Christians to being the capital of the Vatican. What caused that? It was those acts. And basically what Christians were saying is, we are totally unafraid of death. We don't care. Jesus put death to death. And we're not afraid of him anymore. And that was their hope. And when the Romans got a hold of that, I mean, what conveys it the best? We could go around and talk about it. We can go around and have Bible studies with people about it. We can, we can bloat about it. We can do whatever. But when we are willing to die for it, that's what makes the difference. That's what changes people's minds. And the Roman citizens saw that and they wanted to have that same hope because everyone generally is terrified of death. They're scared to death of it. Terrified of death, scared to death. I realize what I said, but when you find a hope that says, I'm no longer afraid of death. And and, and that was our brethren. I mean, didn't we just kind of face this ourselves? The coronavirus? Yes, I don't particularly want to die. But am I I afraid of it? Not since I've... And and I understand sermons is one thing. And if you hadn't heard this concept before, you're going to have to let this settle in for a while. Before it becomes a part of you. I mean, I was at Walmart getting my second shot. I I had the virus in December. I got the four shot, the two shots uh, in April, I think, or May. And I was standing at Walmart to get my second shot. And there was a lady about my age there. And she's just wringing her hands. She's nervous. And she's, you know, talking to everybody around her. Aren't you afraid of this? Aren't you worried? Do you know anybody that's died from it? And, you know, and she's going on and on and on. And I'm kind of smiling. I'm watching her and I'm kind of smiling. I'm not laughing at her. I'm just at ease. And she says, you don't look like you're worried about it at all. Aren't you afraid? And I said, no. I said, because something's got to get us. Now that, I know how that sounds, but I mean that. I'm going to die of something. Am I to fear it? Or to face it with hope? Don't you see? You know, if I'm going to die and be a ghost and float on a cloud with a harp, then I'm going to face it, okay? But if I'm, if I'm going to glory, that's different. And that's why the Christian, the Bible says, our hope, what we are hoping for, and what that means is it's what motivates us to become Christians, it's what motivates us to go to church, it's what motivates us to change our lives, it's what motivates us in everything we do as Christians, our hope is glory. 
We're going, every person here that's a believer is going to be resurrected with a new body just like Jesus has, and you're going to enter into glory for eternity in a new creation. And I believe we're going to know each other. Death can't keep us. Jesus put to death death. And death can't keep us. Jesus killed death. Death's goal, you need to understand, uh, until Jesus' death was viewed as a permanent thing. That was the power of death. Death gets you and you're gone. That's it. Now you might be a ghost, but death has destroyed you as a human being. And that's the way they view death. Well, death can't do that anymore. If Jesus hadn't defeated death, when we die, we would stay dead. Our bodies would just continue to rot in the grave. Because death was, was viewed as permanent until Jesus destroyed it. De Jesus whipped it. Jesus defeated death. And yeah, go, I, 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 how many want to go to heaven? Not all of you, okay. Uh, and, you know, I, I want to go to heaven, but listen, heaven is just a waiting place. I like one preacher that was preaching on this. He said, heaven's great, but it's not the end of the world. We're waiting for the end of the world so that we can get our new bodies and so we can enter into glory. And that's, that's why the first Christians were willing to be killed. That's, I don't know. I've, I've often wondered how I would face that. I mean, if, if we become illegal, and it could happen the way things are going, if Christians, and, and they actually started justifying killing us, for believing in Jesus, the first Christians, they, the people told them, if you don't quit saying that, we're going to kill you. I mean, it's recorded in Acts. They told Peter that. If you don't quit preaching in the name of Jesus, we're going to kill you. And they said, okay, get on with it. Kill us. We don't care. Is that part of us? Maybe we need to reclaim the hope. The hope of the New Testament, the Elpida, from our Greek scholar. The Elpida. We need to claim it. We need to get a hold of it so that if it does come to us, we can have that kind of boldness and somebody threatens to kill you because of your faith and you say, oh, okay, get on with it. I'm ready for the good stuff. I'm kind of tired of this stuff right now. Get on with it. Things are going to get better. That's our hope. It's going to be glorious. So what are you hoping for? This prayer that Paul prayed to the church in Ephesus is really the prayer he prays for us too, for all Christians.
I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Boy, he wants us to understand something. So that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Do you? Do you know what is the hope of his calling? What are the riches of the glory? The glory of his inheritance. Listen, the way you claim it is you, 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 you profess your faith in Jesus. You get baptized to have your sins removed. But baptism is not just having your sins. Baptism is making a covenant with God. You enter into a covenant where he promises you glory. And you accept that, that covenant promise. And even the act of baptism simulates what we go through. Dying, then being raised. Dying with Jesus, then being raised to glory. If you haven't made a covenant with God through baptism, you need to do that. And then you will have your mind set on the glory that is to be revealed to you. If you, need, if you need to make things right with God for whatever reason, don't let anything stand in the way of your glory while we stand and sing. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious re-